if institutional DeFi is just for institutions, um, like why, why does it have to be on a public blockchain? Why not just have a permissioned, you know, if the, if the pools are permissioned, why not just have it all on a permissioned private blockchain? All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Empire. Uh, today, Santi's sitting this one out. Uh, we are joined by Byron, uh, the BlockWorks uh, daily newsletter writer and uh, extraordinaire, the Matt Levine of crypto. Uh, and we are joined by Matt Bloomberg as well, who is on Polygon's institutional team, uh, but does not represent Polygon's views here. So Matt, Byron, welcome to the show, guys. Thanks. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, first time uh, caller, long time listener. Again, <laughs> we'd love to hear that. Um, I I, w- I want to focus this conversation really on the JP Morgan news. Uh, Matt, we want you to break it down for us. Here's my understanding. So uh, basically this week, JP Morgan announced that they had, have executed their first live trade on a public blockchain. Um, the details are that they, uh, they, I think alongside DBS Bank and SBI, executed a trade that involved a tokenized JP, uh, tokenized yen, JPY, and then SGD, which is Singapore dollar deposits. The trade was carried out on a modified fork of Ave Arc uh, on to- on Polygon, uh, so that the interest rates, and then they they basically modified the fork of uh, they forked Ave Arc so that the interest rates and the FX rates could be manually set, and then they used Polygon uh, so that it was a bit cheaper. Um, there are also a bunch of other firsts here, right? Um, uh, the the transaction involved like VCs verifiable credentials, which allowed the actual users to prevent the kind of KYC uh, to have like the necessary compliance information for the third party verifiers. Um, I think there are a bunch of firsts here, but Matt, can you just break down this whole transaction, this whole trade for us? Yeah. Um, so, so this is really part of an initiative that was set out by the Singaporean government's like financial arm, uh, which is the Monetary Authority of Singapore. It's like their SEC and CFTC and like everything like rolled into one. Um, And so a while ago, they came out with this initiative called Project Guardian, which is meant to explore the potential benefits of of asset tokenization. Um, And so, you know, one relatively straightforward use case is is like foreign exchange, right? Um, Like we're all here for cryptocurrencies, right? Um, And uh, uh, the way the way that it worked was, you know, when you have like large financial institutions or really most uh, most kinds of tokenization are going to involve some sort of KYC. Um, whether that's like attesting that you're like a U.S. resident or like, uh, you know, an institutional investor or a qualified buyer or a financial, you know, counterparty or whatever. Um, you know, the, the KYC elements of this actually wind up being like where a lot of the innovation and like tech happens. Um, and so, you know, first, I guess we should talk about like Ave Arc. So this is like Ave's like permissioned uh, product where it allows permission parties to participate in Aave, like borrow land markets. Um, and so it, it, it introduces this notion of like a permission pool where you can only take part in this pool if like you meet certain credentials. Um, and then the the innovative part that you were talking about a minute ago is, is this notion of like on-chain verifiable credentials. So, you know, this could be as simple as like having a list of addresses that are allowed to interact with whatever contract. Um, but it can also get like much more complicated, right? You can imagine like financial institutions of a certain jurisdiction can touch one product, but not another. Uh, maybe, you know, one financial institution is allowed to interact with a set of counterparties, but not another set of counterparties, even if they fall into like the same broad categorizations. Um, and so you wind up with like 
relatively complex logic. Um, and that's where this like verifiable credential thing happens. Um, and and the, the innovation here is really that the verification is happening on chain using um, like using criteria that are set out on chain as like directly exposable on chain elements, uh, almost like uh, soul bound NFTs, right? Um, where that way you can write up your own contracts without having to like get directly in touch with whatever third parties. And you can, you can use this sort of like third party, like KYC, like, you know, uh, accreditation library of, of credentials. And then you can reference it for like whatever you need to, right? Um, so in this case, there, it was pretty simple. There were like three banks involved. It was like uh, DBS, SBI, and JP Morgan. Um, so it was like relatively straightforward. But going forward, you can imagine like, you know, uh, maybe a pension fund wants to buy something that's, you know, off some product that's offered by one of these banks, right? Uh, they might have to reach like whatever set of credentials. And you can bake that logic into either like the contract or the marketplace or the borrow lend market uh, where, where it's going to take place. Um, mm. So that that's that's a little bit on just like the, the credential side. Um, in terms of the transaction itself, there's actually like a great tweet thread. We should link it in the show notes um, from, from a guy, Ty Loban, who works at... Uh, at JP Morgan's Onyx uh, group, which is their like crypto. I, I thought this group totally got spun down in like 2018. I'm, I'm like, I did I'm, too. Like, I, I remember, uh, I remember when Amber Balday was leading the group and then uh, obviously Christine Moy had a big impact over at JP Morgan. But I remember Amber was working on block uh, uh, Quorum. If you remember Quorum, the, the fork yeah. of Ethereum back in like 2015, 2016, 2017 consensus came around and I guess kind of bought Quorum. So yeah, there's a, there's a long history obviously of JP Morgan blockchain here yeah and then i i think quorum may have even like passed hands over to um over to microsoft uh, i guess their azure blockchain product lives on as like quorum now um which is like totally wild um but uh anyway yeah uh you know obviously kind of ironic given jamie diamond's like wild tirades on twitter um but uh jp morgan's like done a fair amount of building and innovation here right so um so, so this like specific trade, you can you can go into like the, you can actually see it on Polygon Scan, which I absolutely love. Um, I, I always love to check the chain, right? Um, and so, if you dig in, you can see that there was like a permission pool, uh, like um, a slightly modified version of Ave Arc, right? So Ave, you know, the pools they have um, they have parameters like um, uh, like whether you know whether a liquidation should occur at whatever point, like what the FX rate should be considered. Should it be using an Oracle? Should it be like some kind of fixed rate? What should the interest rates be, right? Um, and so, uh, so you know, they deployed this like modified version where they could set those parameters. And I think the idea is, you know, it's a proof of concept, right? So they're, you know, maybe really not trying to like get liquidated on um, on this like version of permissioned Ave that has two assets and three parties, right? Um, but uh, uh, they they set up this pool, um, and then they effectively tokenized uh, Japanese yen and Singaporean dollars, uh, and then uh, it looks like it was kind of structured more as like a like a bilateral like borrow lend thing, um, where one party deposits like tokenized SGD, another party deposits like tokenized JPY. They borrow against each other um, using that like fixed like on chain FX rate. Um, and then like whatever, you know, whatever terms they use for, for interest rates as well. So you can imagine like if you're a bank, like maybe you, you know, you need like some number of Singaporean dollars for some reason for like a day uh, or for like a week or whatever. Um, and, you know, 
historically you've done this over the counter. You would call up the FX guy at the counterparty bank um, and they would tell you, hey, like, here's my here's my pricing. Here's my interest rate. And with this, you can do it all on chain, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, it, it makes like the transfer and custody and all, all that like way simpler. But it's it's just a trip to see like these token names, right? You have like JPM SGD, and then you have like the Ave, you know, A JPM SGD. Uh, it's just something you're not really used to seeing, right? Um, so that that's broadly speaking how it works. So so use Ave for a couple things, right? There's the like they sort of tacked on their uh, verifiable credentials to the Ave permission pool like construct, um, and then they also use that as the as the borrow end market um, for for executing this transaction. Got it. Let me let me do a little recap of that and just make sure that I have everything correct. So basically, so, so Singapore's got this initiative, right, to get deeper and deeper into crypto. The Singaporean government's been very interested in crypto um, for many years now. They came to JP Morgan. What JP Morgan actually did is they basically tokenized these deposits, right? So they tokenized uh, SJ, SJD or SGD and JPY. Uh, they, they built a, an Ave pool, basically. Um, they use, I think it was uh worldwide what is it worldwide webs like verifiable they built verifiable credentials using worldwide web to provide this like compliant access to ave arc uh which is the kind of like permission DeFi side of ave um and uh they allowed them to basically swap the sgd the sjd or sgd sgd for jpy using the permission to ave arc pool is that am i following that correctly yeah, it looks like the construct was a little bit more of a of a borrow, like you know, a, a loan rather than a, a swap. But yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, and you know, the idea is like today we're using this W three like verifiable credential, but like tomorrow we could use something more composable, like you know, zero knowledge proofs, right? Where like it preserves that that privacy because not every bank wants to have their outstanding like loan book directly visible on chain, right? Right, I, and I think Ty actually said that in the tweet thread. He said that we designed this in a way that ensures verifiable credential based compliance checks can be used by uh can be used with any DeFi protocol without the protocols needing to know about the verifiable credentials which is really cool right because it kind of frees the DeFi front ends from needing to do these kyc checks um but also he said we think that, he said we think that their on-chain that our on-chain vc verification is another first the design isn't perfect and then, and he actually said in the future we want to use zero knowledge proofs so it's pretty interesting um, but Byron, I'd love to get your take as someone who's just worked inside of some of these large institutions for a number of years. Like, what's your take on this? Are you, is this exciting to see? Is this like ugh, a little bit of skeptic, skepticism? You don't really know what to think about this. You just have more questions for Matt. What do you, what's your take on this? Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's super interesting. Um, and I'm very curious about it, but like I've, I've read the, uh, I guess there was a white paper, um, and some tweet threads and things. And I, I can't say that I totally understand what they're going for. Um, so yeah, mostly I just have a bunch of questions. I think my first question would just be, um, you know, if this is, if institutional DeFi is just for institutions, um, like why, why does it have to be on a public blockchain? Why not just have a permissioned, you know, if the, if the pools are permissioned, why not just have it all on a permissioned private blockchain? Uh, it's a good question. I, I think there's a couple of reasons, right? So, the first is like you can have a much more trustless system if you have like, you know, credibly neutral validator sets. Right. Um, and so, you know, it, there's a question of like, where do you draw the line on like who's institutional? Right. Like if you're like a high net worth person who's trying to trade uh, a JPEG or send some a fair amount of like 
you know, money to someone than like having, you know, like, yeah, you can do it through a bank and it's effectively a private blockchain, right? Uh, but you might feel more comfortable knowing that like all of the logic's being executed as intended, being able to like read through that contract and then being able to to see that it actually makes it like onto a chain. It makes it a little bit more like permanent, I guess. Uh, so it, it helps like the trust assumptions a little bit relative to like, the, you know, we've all we've all heard like a lot of talk around like, oh, like what if all the banks just rent their own blockchains, like a Ripple model, right? Um, but, you know, having this like credibly neutral set of validators makes it uh, and, you know, we can get it's a weird time to be saying the words credibly neutral validators. But, um, you know, hopefully that's the vision. Right. Um, and, and then, you know, the other thing is really from a regulatory perspective, um, a lot of financial institutions don't really or can't really get into the game of look, operating what looks like an exchange. Um, and so being able to, like, outsource the the, li- the, the legal liability is, is somewhat valuable, too. Right. So, so you mentioned high net worth individuals. Um, do you imagine that uh, retail customers of the banks will be able to interact with the banks on these blockchains? I was kind of working on the assumption that it was going to be just, you know, uh, uh, banks versus banks. Um, I, so I think like for asset tokenization broadly, right, um, there's a, there's like a spectrum of like what people can and can't do, right? So, you know, I don't think like individuals are going to be like providing liquidity to like the JP Morgan Singapore dollar, JP Morgan JPY pool anytime soon. Um, but, you know, you could imagine if you're like, if you're raising a fund, right? Like, so, and something that you would typically sell to say financial advisors, right? Um, like a, you know, like a VC fund or a private equity fund. Um, and then you need those like financial advisors to like distribute your product. There, there's a middle person there, um, but you could potentially go direct to, direct to customer, right? Like if if all you need is that assurance that the customer is legally allowed to buy and sell your product. Um, and so, you know, you can imagine a world where like uh, we have tokenized XYZ products and the users go through um, a, an app or like a like a you know fintech front end. Uh, that executes those trades on their behalf because the front end, really their primary value at, in this in this world would be that they actually execute the KYC too. And they, they hold track of the database of like who's allowed to touch what. Um, but, you know, what, like asset tokenization is a weird one, right? Because there's so many different kinds of assets and so many different kinds of permissions you have to have. Um, but, but, you know, I, I'm broadly bullish that like, we can get to a place where it's not just like three banks interacting with each other, like trading FX. It feels like a toy now, right? Yeah, I'm kind of assuming that it's uh, it's mostly about, uh, you know, kind of cost cutting on interbank transactions. Uh, but it sounds like, but you're, that was kind of my impression from reading the white paper. Um, but it sounds like you think it's it could be a lot more than that. Yeah, totally. Um I mean, you know, you always have to ask yourself, like, how much cost do you really cut, right? Like, when do the gas fees pay for themselves? And, like, when do the smart contract developers pay for themselves? When does the smart contract risk, like, become, like, underwritable uh, relative to, like, employing three people, uh, you know, one at each bank that are going to, like, call each other over the phone and, like, execute those settlements? Um, But the way I understand it is that, like, a lot of assets, when they get uh, when they get passed from one institution to another, it actually does incur a fair amount of cost on the back end. There are like companies that um, that provide those like asset transfer services that that tend to take a, a reasonably sized chunk. Um, 
So, you know, yeah, it's one, it's one part car cost. It's one part just like assurances that like that third party is not going to like mess with you. Um, and then one part like broader financial access for, you know, albeit like in a not fully permissionless way, it, it's still broader. I think a lot of the cost cutting would also um, just be in the atomic settlement, right? So then that would remove the need for uh, every single participant having um, like large deposits sitting around. Um, yeah. Do you think, do you think uh, there will ever be touch points between institutional DeFi and the rest of DeFi? Or are these going to be just completely different parallel systems? I mean, now we're getting philosophical, but I would hope not. Um, because I think it's really important for DeFi to exist in uh, in a format that looks like what it does today, in a permissionless, like, you know, just the just you, the contract, and the rest of the world being able to interact with it as you please as, like, individuals. Um, and then I think institutional DeFi should, should exist in its own in its own little bubble. And, you know, my fear is that, like, as you, you know, in a world where those touch, institutional DeFi just, like, like severely overwhelms it and we lose a little bit of like the permissionlessness that makes this important. I have a yeah, feeling that, that um, yeah, so sorry, Byron. I, I, I just like one, one thought on that Byron is I, I don't know if you guys listen to the Eric Voorhees, Sam Bankman Freed podcast on Bankless, but if anyone's listening to this and hasn't listened to that, I'd really recommend it. It's a really interesting conversation, but I think you could see a world, not, not that I, I hope that this isn't the world that we see, but I think you could see a world where, um, DeFi, like permissionless DeFi is like the playground, right? Like right right now, if you want to go build financial products, it takes years to go build financial products. In DeFi, you can build a financial product in days or weeks, right? So you could have DeFi as this like playground of financial activity. And then once something feels like it's getting big enough or once something you almost want to like take it mainstream, it goes into that like that. I, I like hate to say this, but the, the permissioned DeFi world. And again, I really hope this isn't the world that, that we end up living in. Um, because I do think all this stuff should be permissionless, but I don't know. I'm just reading Ty's tweet here. It's like tweet number four, tweet number five. He said, sidebar, as a heavily regulated bank, we cannot enable money laundering and must undertake KYC. Using verifiable credentials and allow lists was crucial for us, uh, for enabling us to use DeFi pools with certainty on these points. Institutional DeFi exclamation mark. And that just tells me it's like, I don't know. I even saw the folks who were uh, participating in Ave Arc. Um, at the, from the get-go is like GSR, Ribbit, QCP, Wintermute, CoinShares. Like these are pretty crypto-native funds, and it's like I think even that even these crypto-native funds want to participate in this KYC AML'd part of DeFi. So, yeah, it's a it's a it's a weird state that we live in, right? Where like if you're like a Wintermute or a GSR, like on one hand you want to encourage like permissionless innovation as much as you can. But on the other hand, if you have like a profitable opportunity to take in the permission part of the world, then like you got to You got to take it. Right. Yeah. Byron, what else? I got you off before. Um, yeah. So like, do you, do you think this is going to be something that gets a lot of attention in the DeFi community or is it going to be like, sort of like JP Morgan coin? Like, uh, you know, that's nice, but, it has nothing to do with us, really. <laughs> um, I mean, it's uh, it's tricky, right? Because there's two sides of the DeFi community, and the one that makes the noise is like the speculative side. Um, I think like you could probably say this about like a lot of crypto applications, right? Um, and so like, where's the speculation in like JPM coin that like I can't participate in as a user doesn't really land. 
but then I like when I first read about all of this stuff, I read about it from a place of like pessimism and negativity and, and doubt because we've had so many years of so many announcements of things that quote happened on chain and like never had like the transaction hash never actually had you could never check the chain and verify that any of it happened i think the ecb like tokenized like euro bonds like a year and a half ago but like which which blockchain they didn't tell us right like uh you know like how did how did the how did the bonds work or they were collateralized no 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 real info right um so you know it's it's a little interesting to see something that actually legitimately happened, you know, to a degree, there's a lot of trust, right? Like, does JP Morgan actually hold the SGD to, like, back up these liabilities? Yeah. Um, but when, when like, institutions are actually, like, pressing the button to, like, send transactions on chain, that's a big step. And, you know, I don't think we've seen anything at a similar level of, like, real actual participation from traditional, like, banks, right? Um, so I don't think it's going to make waves despite it being like a kind of a big deal. Like the fact that these guys have wallets, right? The fact that they have private keys and they're figuring out how to like, what the best practices are for like custodying and all of that. That's, that's pretty meaningful. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't see it making waves in the DeFi space or really in the institutional space. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think that this use case is really small is the other issue, right? Like if you think about like, okay, Singaporean dollar, Japanese yen, some kind of like loan, it's it's not, you know, it's not like meaningful to your average person working at an institution who doesn't really have to deal with like overnight FX rates, right? Uh, like it's, you know, it's a little bit like neither here nor there, but, you know, maybe the next one is a lot bigger. Maybe it's like a, you know, a money market fund or like commercial paper or like, you know, like slowly we'll start getting bigger and bigger things. Um, and, you know, now that sort of these companies have like the mindset and tech in place to actually execute stuff on chain, you know, you can imagine it getting like snowballing really quickly. Like it feels a little bit like the hard part in the infrastructure is there. And we've seen like signals, at least that there is institutional comfort. Um, you know, it's not hard to imagine like, you know, it's a little bit like the iPhone, right? Like the, the hardware is there, the app store is there, you know, building the application is, is just software. Uh, obviously building software is hard, but you know, it is just software when like you already have like the full supply chain in place. Do, do you think there's a risk that um, regulators will look at this and say, oh yeah, we like that. We're totally comfortable with that. That's allowed. And that's the only kind of DeFi allowed. So now we're just going to just ban all the rest of the, all the rest of DeFi. If you don't have these uh, verified chain KYC things, then you can't do DeFi. Oof, that would be brutal. <laughs> there's, yeah, it feels like there's a risk of that, right? Uh, I don't know. What, what do you, what do y'all think? I, I think that's a possibility. I, I would take the other side of what you just said before though, Matt, about um, you're like that, that this isn't that big of a deal and that people don't care about it that much. I, I think this use case is incredibly small, obviously, but the interesting thing from the most interesting thing from this in my mind was that uh, was just seeing Ty's public thread and seeing how how I, you can just read between the lines and see how knowledgeable he is and how inherently how knowledgeable that team must be when they're talking about when you're when you have JP Morgan talking about zero knowledge proofs, uh, on chain verifiable credential verification, um, I like. Like posting uh, links to Polygon po Scan, right? Posting links <laughs> like, to Polygon <laughs> Scan, yeah, exactly. Like these are not folks who are, you know, messing around on like 
you know, just opening up like a, a an Anchorage or like a Coinbase account and like throwing some ETH in there and maybe even like getting crazy and staking it. Like they are changing things on chain. And, and that's, and that's really interesting to me. And, and what that actually does is uh, I think it tells the regulators that they need to catch up. So I think there's the possibility that Byron's right. And they, the regulators say, Ooh, this, this is a really nice version of DeFi. Like we can get comfortable with this. There's another thing that happens though, where a regulator looks at this and says, okay, ZKP, what the hell does that mean? Oh, zero knowledge proof. Oh, this is actually, Oh, zero. Oh, okay. And that, now I'm going to try to actually understand what's going on with some of this stuff. So I think it's just what they're doing here pushes everyone else to just speed up their uh, the amount of information and, and, and knowledge that, that they need to have about what's going on. Yeah, I, I think to that effect, like Singapore is doing the world a huge service, right? By being so crypto native or crypto forward, right? Um, yeah. Like, you know, uh, when I was talking to people in the UK, they were like, yeah, like our financial authority is like issuing like, you know, licenses to people to like run crypto funds, right? You don't see a, as much of that in the US or like, you know, it, it, the the whole thing feels like much clunkier and you don't have access to the same opportunities, uh, and having JP Morgan, you know, participate in this experiment is like, whoa, hang on, you know, maybe now everyone, every regular needs to think a little bit harder about how they're actually going to engage with this stuff. Yeah. Matt, I want to uh, ask you a couple questions here. One is, why do you think that they chose Ave Arc instead of Compound? <laughs> um, I I don't know. I think, you know, when it, when it comes to Aave, right, like, uh, you know, we have the PayPal mafia in Web 2. Like, I, I really think the Aave mafia is going to be the Web 3 version of that. They're just like engaging a lot harder on a lot of different fronts, like Lens Protocol on one end, right? And then you have like Aave Gachi, right? And then you have, um, you have Aave Arc. I think Ave Arc was actually like a big deal. Maybe, you know, I don't know if the product really has much TVL or usage or or like good opportunities there. Um, but as a press release, it made a huge impact, right? Now it's like every institution is familiar with Ave Arc, right? Um, it, it is like the, you know, the optimal like way for if you're a traditional like finance shop, that's the, you know, you know, you know about Firebox and you know about Ave Arc. Um, that, that's my take. I have another question here, which is, uh, when will, so, so Polygon, I feel like Polygon's had a huge week, right? There's, there's other big news that we could talk about, which is Instagram rolled out minting for NFTs. Um, Polygon is, is like the blockchain they chose from that when, and again, I, and I know you're biased here cause you work at Polygon. Um, so I don't know how much you can say about this, but I'll just <laughs> reinforce the fact that you do not represent Polygon's belief, uh, represent Polygon's beliefs here. When do you think Polygon declares independence from Ethereum and becomes its own L1 in order to capture more value for Matic holders? Options could be next um, couple of I years, think... <laughs> five years, never. What do you, what do you think about that? Uh, if you look at the Polygon product suite and like everything that's getting built right now, um, it doesn't look like that's the plan, right? Like, you know, Polygon effectively launched this, this layer one on its own with the full knowledge that like, or, you know, called it side chain, commit chain, whatever. And I'm going to get shit for not calling it a layer two, but it, it is an, it is a layer one. Right. Um, and, uh, and you know, that was like the stepping stone. Right. Like there's a reason why we raised all this money and are sinking it heavily into zero knowledge technology. Right. Because we do want to build uh, the ZKVM, which just went into testnet a few weeks ago. Right. Which is our like ZK uh, roll up. Um, I think Ethereum, it's already 
like I was having a conversation with someone the other day, like, why does Bitcoin have value? And it's like immediately apparent to to us if like if Bitcoin was one of the key ways that you got into the space, obviously Bitcoin has value, right? That's just like a no brainer. Uh, but for someone that's entering not through Bitcoin, it's a much more confusing space and you don't understand why Bitcoin is at number one in terms of market cap. Um, I think Ethereum has reached a similar level of like Lindy effect where it's here. It's here forever, right? Um, and it and it is going to like serve as that global settlement layer. Um, and there's advantages to that. You need your staking token to be like as, you know, high value as possible to have maximum security on the network. And so there's, there's an advantage to like having everything sort of like uh, converge on Ethereum as the settlement layer. Um, and if you look at like Polygon's tech, like, Basically, where we're investing our time and, and money and effort is in, you know, ways to scale Ethereum rather than like serve as an alternative. Um, I mean, you can even see it in like Sandeep's tweet about Instagram. He was like, we're bringing Ethereum to the world, right? Uh, it's it's just like very aligned. And, and you know, that's been advantageous for Polygon from the crypto native side, because if you're a crypto native builder and you would have built on Ethereum three years ago, but then you saw what happened in gas prices this last cycle. And, you know, now you're now you have to rethink things. If you're, you know, the, your natural first step is likely Polygon. And then if you start thinking about another EVM compatible chain like Avalanche and Phantom and Harmony, like it, it reopens your world. Now you have to near, right? You have to rethink a whole lot of things um, versus like Polygon, it feels like scalable Ethereum. It's like, it's the best yeah. like, tagline they could have. I'm just thinking though, like how much of that last sentence I think is one of the most important sentences. I'm trying to think about how much of this is marketing because um, so, so you remember, so last year, last summer, uh, Polygon introduced a veil, which was like their, I think they called it like the robust general purpose, scalable data availability, buzzword, buzzword, like basically they're building their own uh, data availability layer, right? And once that's live, I don't know what stage it's at right now, but like once their data avail availability layer is live, it makes me think like, what do you need the Ethereum L1 for? In my mind, what you need the Ethereum L1 for is having the whole community continue to love you. Because once you move off of that, and once you settle back to your data availability layer, now you're now you're kind of in the bucket of like Avalanche and Solana and things like that, where the ETH crowd doesn't like you. But right now, the the when when your when your rollups are settling back to Ethereum, the ETH crowd likes you. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I do. Um, and I'm like, admittedly, not as educated on data availability as as uh, I should be. Um, but I think the uh, I think it's really about security at that point, right? Like your data availability layer still has validators, right? It still has it's like its own blockchain of blockchains, right? Um, it's a little bit more verifiable because you can take like subsampling or something and have like more like you have like clients like more directly participate in validating the chain. Um, but you still have to have some kind of staked token or something, or, you know, a similar model. It's, you know, Polygon Avail is like still very much in R&D phases, but, you yeah. know, you, you still you still need some security, right? Um, and, you know, I think the reason we haven't seen more talk around separating out the data availability layer is that like the rest of the world isn't quite in a place where we necessarily want that yet. Um, and you know, you could even think of like the beacon chain as its own data availability layer. Right. But it's like the highest security one, um, where like once we get sharding and we get like, you know, more slots and all that, uh, it's, you know, it, it becomes like a place that blockchains post data, like that shards of blockchains post data or whatever. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a good 
it's a good question. How much is marketing? I, I think everything in crypto is primarily marketing at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well said. I mean, we're discussing Byron. a press release, right? <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> well said. Uh, Byron, any other thoughts or questions on the on the JP Morgan side of things or, or on Polygon? Really, anything else that's on your mind right now? Um, I don't know. I guess I guess one question I had was about the scalability. So uh, I guess one of the selling points or talking points was that um, this solves the scalability problem of stable coins. And I wasn't sure exactly what they were referring to. I think that was in the tweet thread that, that Jason mentioned um, before. Do you know Do you know what they're referring to there, Matt? Boy, I got to tell you, it feels like the opposite, right? Because this is like a stable coin that like two parties get to interact with. Like, <laughs> I completely, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. It was like the second thread. It's like, look, you know, we have JP Morgan SGD, uh, which solves the problem of like deploying stable tokens with and without incurring the scalability issues of stable coins. Like, what? Um, you know, I, I do think scalability in terms of gas is important, though, because if you think about these like on-chain verifiable credentials, this stuff gets really complicated really quickly. If you're like an asset manager and you're trying to like tokenize some financial product, like, you know, you might have like today you have like pages and pages of legal documents specifying exactly what needs to happen in order for someone to be able to buy it. Right. Um, so, you know, being able to like have this like arbitrary, like verifiable credential, it's not really possible directly on the L1. Cause what you don't want is you don't want institutions coming in and being like, yeah, yeah, I'll trade you some, you know, JPY for SGD. Uh, okay, great. Like, and then they go on chain. They're like, oh my God, the gas fees. Right. Or like, you know, they're, someone's trying to deploy a contract and like maybe it hits the gas limit. Right. Um, so I, I think going to Polygon is basically for, for that reason here. Sorry, the, the going to Polygon is for the reason that it's, uh, it's for Just the, like the, the cheaper gas. Like, you know what you're getting, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, like you're not going to hit a point where like you have some workflow where you settle some things on chain today and then you try to do it tomorrow. And like all of a sudden gas fees are eight times more expensive because like art gobblers are going wild. But there's, I mean, there must be a security element too. Like, how, how did uh, how did Polygon convince JP Morgan that they that their security was was you know sufficient for for institutional sized banking? Um, I think when it comes to security of like any like proof of stake system, it's about like the staked assets, right? Um, you know, what what trust assumptions do you have to make, etc. Uh, I'd expect a lot more of this institutional stuff to go to ZK rollups in the future, to be honest. Like this one obviously launched on the, the existing like layer one because, you know, people wanted to press ahead and, and get things done. And like, you know, that's that's a core part of the, the industry. Right. Uh, but yeah, I, I think this stuff's going to live on like, you know, gas efficient ZK rollups in the future. Could it be on multiple chains? I, I feel like like the way I conceptualize it is uh, it's all these banks agreeing to share a database basically like the, the the essential problem is that they all keep their they all keep their individual databases and then when they trade with each other they all update their individual databases and they have to hope that they updated them the same way so my assumption is that like the the benefit of institutional DeFi is that they'd all be sharing one big database but then if it's on multiple chains that would kind of defeat the purpose right so is it um you know is, is institutional DeFi just is it going to be just on one chain do you think 
Yeah, I I think so. And I think you're seeing like a, a pretty big marketing push from both Avalanche and Polygon on that end, right? Like Avalanche's mission in life is to, you know, tokenize the world's assets, right? Um, and, you know, to a degree, like you can see in their marketing, right? Like Avalanche was buying out like subway cars in New York City, which was absolutely wild. Um, and then they, they bought like the train cars that went between New York and Connecticut, right? Um, like, uh, you know, they, they've made a pretty heavy push in the institutional space. I think Polygon, um, at least, you know, from what I've seen is, is attempting to, to play in a similar space. Um, and it's going to come down to business development. Okay. And you said they, you said they're tokenizing assets, but that's, that reminds me of my other question, which is that, uh, JP Morgan said they've, uh, tokenized liabilities of the bank which I don't totally understand. Like in what sense are these liabilities in the bank? Like if I, if I have a uh, bank account with JP Morgan, uh, that is liability of, of the bank because I can go to an ATM machine and get cash and they, you know, they have to give me cash. Um, but I don't really understand how that, like how that works in the context of a blockchain. Like I can't go to the blockchain and get cash and I can't go to like, uh, I can't take their tokenized JPY and send it to some other bank. I don't think so. Um, do you have a sense of, uh, in, in what sense these are tokenized liabilities? The, the way I read it is it's basically like a stable coin that's represented by a, to you know, by like a Singaporean dollar in a bank account somewhere similar to like circle, right? Like each USDC is like a liability of circle. Uh, and that can be like redeemed for a U.S. dollar, right? So that's, but they, I guess, I guess I understand the redemption mechanism at Circle, but I've, I'm not sure what mm -hmm. the redemption mechanism would be in institutional DeFi. I guess that's kind of my question. Uh, yeah, I mean, in this example, you know, there's there's three parties, and they go to, they go to each other at the end of the day, and they say, "Nice job on the tokenization experiment, guys. Can I get my can I get my Singaporean dollars, please?" Right. Um, you know, who knows, right? Like, it's it, that there's a whole bunch of trust assumptions there too, right? Cool. Matt, anything else? Uh, no, on, thanks. On... This is like this is the most fun I've I've ever had talking about institutional DeFi. <laughs> <laughs> You and me both, my friend. You and me both. Uh, Matt, anything else from this week that just really stood out to you? It, it was a surprisingly active week just in the, for the bear market, like uh, everything going on with Instagram and their NFTs. Uh, there's actually a lot going on with NFTs right now, Instagram and their NFTs. Twitter's uh, rolling out the ability to buy and sell uh, NFTs directly from tweets. Uh, Art Gobblers also had an interesting week. Anything that's just top of mind for you as we as you think about wrapping up the week? Uh, you know, like this, the social stuff is so interesting, right? Um, like, because you've got it coming from two ends here. You've got like the lens protocol, like I'm going to directly have a, a crypto native platform where my users are going to understand what they're doing when they submit a tweet or when they, you know, send a photo to the chain uh, or like something or collect it or whatever. And then you have the um, the web two side of it, which is, you know, you can link up your MetaMask, you can link up your Phantom Wallet, you know, you can you can directly mint a tweet from the chain. Um, it reminds me of that one tweet. Someone collected the first tweet for like millions of dollars uh, back in back in the day. This is like the the biggest cringe story. Now it's now it's like can't get sold for five bucks. Um, like uh, anyway, I think it's so interesting that we have these two sort of competing on ramps for users right like are people going to be onboarded to web3 social through web3 or through social um and when you're onboarding through social like you have to really worry about the, the user experience right so for example like there's no cost to the user to mint an nft on polygon on instagram 
right? And that's like clearly subsidized, I don't know by who, right? Uh, but like, are people going to keep doing that when they have to sign a transaction? Like what's going on with like, you know, like you still have to link, I think, a, a crypto wallet in order to do these NFT activities on Instagram. So, you know, to what degree is like the the population using these things really that different? Um, I, I just think that like um, we need like better private key management solutions for, for Web3 Social um, to, to work. Like when I try to check like, you know, I, I made the mistake of minting my lens profile to like a wallet that's like linked to my like ledger. Right. And I'm like, I'm sure I can transfer the profile, but like, I, I don't actually know if there's a good tool for me to do that. And I don't, I don't feel like, you know, going to Polygon scan to do it. Um, yeah. It's like, now I have to get my ledger out every time I want to check like, you know, Lenster or lens friends or whatever. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I, I personally super bold up on social as a way to, um, to directly like demonstrate how, a lot of the like great qualities that we love about crypto, the censorship resistance, the composability, um, that sort of like, you know, like you were saying, Byron, like that that one database where everyone comes together and, and agrees on things, right? Um, so it's just, it's really interesting to see the big web tube. I feel like it's been a week of just like big companies that like weren't touching crypto before taking some big steps into, into crypto in general. Yeah, agreed. I mean... Uh, I don't know if you listened to that episode we did on Empire earlier this week with Arbitrum, but it was interesting. Uh, Ar Arbitrum's team came on the podcast with Santiago, and it was uh, just interesting hearing them talk about how the whole Reddit deal went down. So that was not that's not a new thing. Like they put out a call, uh, like an RFP actually, I think a year and a half or two years ago, saying we want to launch this like uh, uh, put it, putting some data basically on a blockchain and. I think like 15 different companies or, or organizations competed on that and Arbitrum actually won it. And they've been building that for like 15 months. And so now it's finally live. So I think there's a lot of stuff. And even with this JP Morgan thing, I mean, people say institutions move slowly. This is one trade 10 years in the making, right? Yeah. I mean, and, you know, you fast forward 10 years, right? And it's like, you know, today you have a big enough core group of people within JP Morgan to get them to participate in something like this. But in 10 more years, you know, half of the employees of JP Morgan have a lens profile and have interacted with the chain in some way. And, you know, you hit this tipping point really quickly where suddenly it's like, you know, like it can come through like larger, you know, like 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 a coup, like an Elon Musk, you know, takeover of Twitter uh, or it can come like slowly from within. But but you hit this like core density really, you know, really suddenly. Um, and, you know, it's going to be pretty cool to see how that plays out. Occupied yeah. JP Morgan. Occupy JP Morgan. Guys, this is a great chat. Matt, thanks for coming on. So last minute, I appreciate it. Byron, this is awesome as always. Go subscribe to Blockworks' daily newsletter. If you're not subscribed already, we'll put a link in the show notes. See you guys next time. Thanks. Thanks guys.